0: Hello and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. In today's episode, we'll explore the topic of leadership succession. And now let's join our hosts.
1: Welcome to the Slingshot Group Podcast. I am Vance Martin. This is David Miller. That is Keith Robinson. What's up, fellas? What's up? Hey, hey. Today, we're back for another round. Today, we're talking about a dirty little word. Ooh. Uh Dirty word. Can we say this? So the dirty little word we are talking about today is succession. Succession. It makes it sound
2: so much more scandalous when you whisper it. Don't ever do that again. That that, <laughs> yeah, that really that, um, that really cut through me.
1: That was that was uh, Succession. How yes. about that?
2: Yeah, there you go. Does
1: that make you feel better? Yes. So this is something that some pastors, some staff, and some churches are thinking about. Uh, it's also something that some churches and pastors are avoiding like the plague. Right. Now that's not to say that. Some churches aren't talking about this because there are churches that are talking about this and doing a really good job about this. But before we even dive into this, I just want to get something out of the way. Some of you out there, you might already be like tuning out thinking, I'm young, I'm not about to retire. I don't need to think about succession. Nothing could be further from the truth. You are not off the hook today. Uh, If you're in ministry out there, Succession is something that you should be thinking about.
2: Absolutely, I think it's incredibly relevant to each each person that's listening. Uh, You know, Keith, you you used a quote earlier when we were talking about this that I'd I'd love for you to to tell everybody about.
3: Yeah, yeah, I was um, actually in a in a class at Hope International University, and Gene Apple from Eastside Christian came in and spoke uh, about leadership. And one of the things he said, I never forget, he said every pastoral role is an interim role. Hmm. Every pastor is an interim pastor because at some point, you're going to hand that baton to someone else and they're going to follow you. So focus on who you're developing. And I love that framework and that idea and, and we are kind of today facing a, a leadership crisis in America. Um, yeah. You know, according to Barna, half of American pastors are older than 55. Um, in 1992, less than a quarter of pastors were that old. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm. So, pastors age 65 and older have almost tripled in the last 25 years, and and so we just we see this. Of course, it shows up, you know, in um, in our churches, yeah. but like you said, Vance, it shows up everywhere in ministry, right? Like yeah. at every level. Even you know, yeah. I, in my in my late 20s, I transitioned as a youth pastor out of a role. And so, what follows? Yeah. Who's next? And
1: that's the right. question. I know. I early in my ministry life and career, I was not thinking about that. I was thinking about how can I do this job the best that I can. But I've worked at five churches in my life, and I think I probably set them up well with one where it was the last church I was at. We didn't have. They didn't have to go find a new new you know hire to replace me because. I actually got wise and started investing in somebody so that when it was time for me to lead, I could just hand it off. And that's not something you think about early in ministry is, well, a lot of it has to do with identity. And like what you said, Keith, it's this, we get we get in the mindset that this is ours to own and it's not ours to steward. Ministry, the role that you're in is a stewardship. I think Andy Stanley said that one time somewhere, like leadership is stewardship. It, he that is, sounds very standard. If he didn't, yeah. he should. Somebody should tweet tweet yeah. that. Let's just, just tweet that right now. Just, attrib, Andy, just attribute it to at him. Andy Stanley. People will
2: believe that that's something he said. Yeah. Yes, Leadership absolutely. Leadership is stewardship.
1: Yeah.
3: And when, when you think about that too, today we're facing this, that there are more full-time pastors, full-time senior pastors, who are over the age of 65 than under the age of 40, according to Barna Group. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so when you hear that number the thing I immediately think about is retirement and have Mm. I saved enough? And so I think we also have to be mindful of the fact that for a lot of people in ministry, especially that founding pastor, there was great sacrifice in decades past that we don't often see. And because of that sacrifice that happened, um, sometimes pastors aren't set up well to transition out. And I think that's a big part of the conversation that has to happen Mm. you know not necessarily with all the staff or the congregation but that has to be a part of the process and so if we could just be a part of removing some of that stigma around how difficult it is how how messy it could be um then maybe we could really get at this this idea that if we don't do something now to hand this baton Mm. effectively we're in this critical passings i don't know about you guys but when i was in high school i ran track And I was on a, a relay team, and I remember the the passing zone. Like we would train, but it was this moment between, you know, this segment, this small little stretch of track where the baton has to be passed from one leader to the next. And if you pass the baton after that, it, it at least at that at that time, it was a DQ, an automatic DQ. Mm. Like you had to pass the baton in that zone. And I think that we live in this really critical moment right now in church history in America, where we are in a critical passing zone. Totally. Yeah. And for some they've run past that, that mark. Um, And so I know this, if that, if that baton is going to be passed successfully, then um, it, it has to start earlier than you think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, uh, um, there's a good friend of ours named Will Heath that uh, works with Oxano, and 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 he's developed this really interesting toolbox for succession. And actually, we've we've kind of been adapting that toolbox, and and have used a lot of those tools with with our process at Slingshot Group. And and, and he'll say, if if the succession, if that time that you need to be done, if it's more, if it's less than three years from now, then you're not thinking about it soon enough. I I think that I, I guess I would want people to hear as as we as we start to kind of fade into our interview portion, I would want people to know that um, I understand why it's hard to let go of a ministry. Yeah. I I completely understand. Again, having uh, started something, this is my baby. How could I even think about giving it up or, or letting somebody else have the, you know, kind of the toil of, of, of the work that I've put together or the, there's something about, um, I don't always think it's ego. I mean, I think that there, that that oftentimes it's it's love. I think a lot of times it can it can be ego. And I and, and again, yeah. I there 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 are always two sides to this. There is the negative. There is the ego of like I love the power and I want to be the lead person. But there is also there is also the I love these people. Uh, this mm-hmm. has become part of who I am in my identity. I have no idea what will happen when it's not me anymore. And there's something about even the even the the, the good piece of that um, and the emotional piece of that. Those pastors that are listening to this, that are saying, gosh, like, why is everyone trying to, you know, again, pry my fingers out or, or why does it feel like people are trying to get me to think about this? I, I think that the mentality that, that was helpful for, for me and that I think can continue to be helpful is, uh, I was thankful that I had some voice In the transition, I was thankful that um, that we did put a plan together Mm -hmm. because it it was because we put the plan together that I knew that the people that were on the team and that we were serving were going to be served well. And I think that if it was all of a sudden, it was just like, hey, we're going to yank this mm. out from under you, I, I don't know that I would have the same confidence yep. that it was. And so a succession process, a succession plan really is the opportunity for that leader, what, regardless of age, regardless even of a role, it's the opportunity for that leader to move in and be a part of, to be set up well for whether it's retirement or moving into something new and to set up that church, that congregation, that staff, well, rather than it being something that is thrust upon them. And so one of you said in the very beginning of this, um, the concept of succession cannot come from someone from the outside. The concept of succession cannot come from somebody else on staff Mm -hmm. that's saying, hey, lead pastor, uh, you're thinking about this, aren't you? It has to come from that lead pastor having the self-awareness and the humility to be able to say, uh, we really need to start having this conversation.
1: Well, the truth is David, succession Mm -hmm. is not for just the lead pastor. Succession is for all of us. Right. Every leader has to have this on their radar because you just said it, you had to leave something that you loved transition in the church world happens. So the challenge today for everybody listening may not be to think about succession today, but it may be to think about who do I need to invest in? Who's the person that I need to begin to develop the gifts within them? Who do I need to call out greatness in so that when I do leave, I can hand it off to them? Good, good stuff, guys. This has been an awesome conversation, uh, but we're just getting this party started. I think it's time to uh, flip it over to our interview today. Keith Robinson uh, sat down with Todd Clark. Todd is our vice president of our senior leadership division. We do a lot of succession work with churches. Todd has, experience succession, uh, personally been through that process. So I think that this interview today uh, with Todd is gonna be enlightening, it's gonna be helpful, it's gonna be encouraging, Uh, you're gonna love it. Plus, Todd's just a really rad dude. So here is Keith Robinson interviewing Todd Clark.
3: Well, today I am joined by my good friend and teammate, Todd Clark. Todd serves as the vice president over senior leadership division here at Slingshot Group. Todd, it's so great to have you in the studio this morning.
4: Thanks, Keith. It's good to be here and uh, love being a part of the team, man. Love yeah. doing life together and serving churches and serving leaders.
3: I love one of the things that you say often is that we get to do this. And that's such a great reminder for me when I hear you say that, that we truly (laughs) get to serve the churches. And I I love working with you and and being on this journey together, man. Uh, uh, Todd, you're on the front lines of this topic of leadership succession. And you've seen succession from many different angles. Personally, you've lived it. And now, as a person who's coaching churches, you're living it even more so, and kind of leaning into this. Talk a little bit about how you've seen this from the different perspectives of, of, of being the person who's been in the midst of that succession, and also as someone who is now walking with churches through their leadership transitions.
4: Yeah, Keith. You know, I I guess I would have probably never. You know, here I am at 25 years in ministry now, and. I don't think I would have ever mapped it out this way, but I do, I love succession. I have a heart for succession and the conversation of transition, largely because not only have I read books and written blogs and coached people through it, but I've, I've experienced it, you know? And really, God has kind of set this up in an interesting way. I think the first time I experienced transition succession was a little more than 20 years ago now at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, when a guy named Bob Russell, was transitioning to an internal candidate, uh, which brings its own set of excitement and uh, peril, I guess, uh, when you have an internal candidate. But he was transitioning Bob Russell to a guy named Dave Stone. Yeah. And I, I was there watching that happen as I was on staff and had a certain proximity to that that was kind of unique. And so I got to watch in a very large church at that day and age, you know, maybe 9,000, 10, 12,000 people an internal candidate that needed to be, you know, some things needed to be kept and elevated Mm -hmm. and other things needed to be cut off and shaved off so that he could be a true internal candidate for that role. And Mm -hmm. that was probably my first view of it. And today that helps me out so much because with the work I do with churches and through Slingshot Group, at least 30 or 40% of the churches we work with have some sort of internal candidate, whether they end up being that person or not, obviously remains to be seen. Then I left Southeast Christian in Louisville to plant a church in Southern California. Church planting is definitely the best and the worst of times, <laughs> and uh, so I spent ten years, you know, in the pre-launch and and leading of a church plant in Simi Valley, California, uh, Discovery Church, and it was it was incredible to lead that, you know, to lead capital campaigns, to move us from our house to a movie theater, to several high schools, to purchasing a. 6 or $7 million facility. And and then I gave away my baby, you know? Why would uh, you do that? I know. Why do our babies leave us, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got, mm-hmm. It's natural, you know? I mean, I've got a daughter getting ready to get married right now. And I've got a son who's headed to high school. And mm-hmm. if she wasn't getting married and my son, not, not high school, sorry, college. Mm-hmm. And if my son wasn't headed to college, kind of be wondering when they were going to do that. So it's natural for our babies to leave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> I love that.
4: The same way in a church. But uh, yeah, it was tough. The point is, I've seen transition from that side where I've been the point leader starting the church. There's no doubt it gives me more empathy, Mm. I think, for these leaders. Uh, One of the things uh, one of my friends, Will Heath at Oxano, likes to say, who's a great partner uh, in this with me, is uh, that succession is emotional. Before it's tactical. And I think that's so true. You know, there's all kinds of tactical things we need to do, right? Yeah. To get succession right, to make the good handoff. But make no mistake, it's emotional way more than it's tactical. And so I get some of that because I've handed off a baby, you know? Uh, so, anyway, that was discovery. So, I saw it from that side. And then I also saw succession recently from a large church that I was in a succession transition relationship with in Phoenix at a church called Christ Church of the Valley. And uh, so, I spent several years in a transition succession relationship and then decided that was not a place that we wanted to remain. I also have, you know, the vantage point of when succession doesn't work. Oh, yeah is, in, and I would have never planned this, but mm-hmm. I think three perspectives over 25 years of ministry give me this really weird, interesting insight into yeah, this.
3: For sure. And it's such a gift, Todd, to the church because that perspective that you've been given is really one that's been born out of you know being in the fire, being in the middle of it, walking through it personally and all the emotions that go with it. As you're working with churches across the country now, talk a little bit about what you're doing To help them navigate these uncharted waters, what are you doing right now to help churches just have this conversation?
4: You know, it's been such an honor in the last few years to get to come alongside so many churches, publicly and privately, so many elder boards, so many leaders in transition. You know, Keith, I think one of the biggest things that I get to do is really change around the metaphor of even what transition succession is. So many times for a lead pastor, senior pastor, but especially for a board at a church, transition succession is all about the handoff. It's all about the search. So, okay, our lead pastor told us he's ready for succession. So we better find somebody and somebody who can grab the baton and really run even faster than he did. Really what I've learned and, and this has been, over the last three or four years, an Ivy League education for me studying this, succession is so much more than just a handoff. What I'm trying to do with churches and leaders so often these days is just really retool that metaphor that it's not just about the handoff, but it's about managing the ecosystem. What kind of culture and ecosystem is that person going to then live in You know, once they get the baton, so to speak? And in fact, this is, this is kind of interesting, Keith. If you had Googled succession, like the word, you know, 15 years ago, just Google succession, what do you think the main thing you would find is?
3: Probably like royalty handing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I immediately start thinking about the lineage of kings and queens uh, in yeah, European I mean, history. That,
4: makes sense. that yeah. totally makes sense. Uh, that's a great answer, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know that it's <laughs> correct. It may have been partly. <laughs>
3: It's but probably if not.
4: <laughs> <laughs> if you had Googled succession 15, 10, 15 years ago, the main thing you would have found was like ecology and urban mm-hmm. planning. You mm-hmm. would have found all kinds of uh, web pages about fires and how to mitigate things after a fire and urban planning. Interesting like that. Yeah. That's what succession was all about. It's only been in the last decade or or maybe a little more that succession has moved into the marketplace Hmm. as a, as a really powerful word and also into the church world. And for so many people, when we talk about succession, there, a lot of the boards and a lot of the elders really only see one aspect of succession. And that is, okay, we better get a new leader.
3: Yeah. Who's the new guy?
4: Who's the new guy? Exactly. But there's so much more than that. And with, with our work at Slingshot Group, if, if I can take just like 30 seconds, Keith, I'll tell you, there's five different areas that we actually work and expand this with. Uh, we use the Oxano toolbox in so much of our succession coaching and their workbook. And, and the five different sections we want to lead boards and leaders through is, first of all, we want to talk about protecting organizational continuity. Mm -hmm. Uh, because so many of these leaders who are transitioning are fearful that their transition is going to hurt the organization. So how do we protect continuity, right? We also talk about emergency transition management. You know, this is that whole, hey, our pastor gets hit by a bus (laughs) or, (laughs) you know, he gets eaten by a bear. You know, he's hiking in the woods and he gets eaten by a bear. Because that's a
3: thing, yeah.
4: Because people get eaten by bears. So what do we do? (laughs) So we talk about that. And then there's also proactive exit planning and this has to do with the lead pastor. Are we going to have any kind of compensation for them? Is it deferred compensation? What is this lead pastor going to grab a hold of next? How are they going to exit? Yeah. Then finally, finally the fourth conversation we have is the new leader hiring. Yeah. You know, which we always just default to. That's, right. you know, building the profile, doing the search, interviewing leaders, the new leader hiring. But what happens so oftentimes is churches just go to that immediately and then they get stuck there yep, and they don't take care of the rest of the ecosystem. Uh, the last part of the ecosystem is that leadership pipeline development. Mm. And that is within our church, within our organization, if it's the church or the marketplace, how are we building a pipeline of leaders to take care of future transitions? Yeah. Because here's, here's, here's the thing that I've learned. And I didn't always know this. I, I've actually just Powerfully learned this in the last five years. When a key leader transitions, it's almost always going to set into motion other transitions in the organization as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: Other people are going to want to transition. And so, how do we have a pipeline? How do we build our bench to actually take care of the other transitions that are going to occur as a result of this transition? So, there's five conversations, you know, there's not just one. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing, Keith. And I love it. That's what I'm up to.
3: It's such an important conversation. It's probably the most pressing one that we're facing today as a church and as, as leaders, as we think forward to the future. I love that you're making the conversation more intentional, that you're not just skipping to the question of who's next, but you're really asking the question, what can we do now to set this person up to succeed? But I also heard in there, Todd, something that I think gets left out of the conversation oftentimes, and that is the existing current senior leader what is their plan and walking with them through that planning and what are they going to put their arms around? I believe you said next, what's, what's the mission and the next season of life and ministry look like for them on the other side of this. And so Todd, what kind of questions should they be thinking through? Should they be asking as they consider succession?
4: Yeah. You know, so much of that successful succession rests on the shoulders of the current senior lead pastor. It just does. I mean, you know, there's two people and there's boards and there's congregations and staff, but this person, you know, holds a lot of it. A few questions that come to my mind would first of all be like, you know, if I'm the lead person, I've been there 5, 10, 20, 30 years is what chips can I play? you know, to help the next person be set up for success. And what, what I'm saying here is things like uh, an example would be, do we have things that are deferred maintenance on the church that I know we need to do, whether it's a parking lot or air conditioning units or whatever it is, do we have deferred maintenance that we need to do? Well, then I need to go ahead and do those. I need to raise the money or use my chips to do some of that deferred maintenance, which no one wants to raise money for.
3: Yeah, good use some
4: luck. Right. Use some of my trust. Use some of my tenure yeah. so that the next person doesn't have to do that. Another example would be this, and this happens all the time. I get into lots of conversations about this. Do we have people on our team who need to be released or repositioned? So if you have a staff of more than three or four people, there's a good chance that there's some people that need to be released or they need to be repositioned. Yep. For the next season of growth. And listen, the guy, the leader, the person who has been there the last five, 15, 20, they are the one that needs to use some of their chips, some of their trust to either release or reposition those leaders so that when you know the new person comes in in the third month, they're not firing people yeah. or... or you know, or trying to reposition people. They're, they've already got a bullseye on themselves. They, they would be, the new leader sometimes is asked to spend chips they don't have.
3: That's so good and so true.
4: And then they go bankrupt. Yep. And leadership. And everybody yep. wonders why, just, you know, I can't understand why they didn't work. Well, because they were asked to do about 17 things yep. that the previous lead pastor should have done. So that that's, you know, one of the things I think of. Here's another interesting thing that I think currently pastors can consider and that is where can i take my foot off the gas just a little bit so the incoming leader can put the pedal down and get some of those wins what what i see happen so often when senior leaders are transitioning is it gets emotional like i said right it's always yeah. emotional before it's tactical you know they talk about transition talk about transition yeah it's going to be no problem and then they get into that final 6 months or that final year and they want to leave this legacy. I want to do it all. Yep. I want to make sure I'm remembered strong. And listen, I understand that. That's a noble thing. But sometimes in an effort to leave a legacy, quote unquote, man, they just put the pedal down. They try and do everything, start everything, yep. achieve everything. Swinging
3: for the fences.
4: Swinging for the fences. Yep. And and i guess in some ways that's okay but the more successful transitions that i've seen are leaders who actually realize we have some things we could win at here's what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm i'm going to just take it up to the edge and then i'm going to hand this win off to the incoming leader i'm going to let them get the win instead of me
3: wow massive
4: so huge yeah a lot of senior leaders Just put the pedal down. And frankly, it's impossible to keep up with them. And then here's what ends up happening. They end up creating all kinds of other things, ministries, programs, initiatives, that the new leader is going to inherit.
3: Yeah, they're going to be saddled with all that.
4: Exactly. And the current leader is going to live with them for three or six months this new leader presumably is going to live with them for three, six, nine, twelve, twenty 20 years. Yeah. And so the new senior leader needs to be saying, hey, what am I starting that this next person is going to inherit?
1: Mm. And
4: the smart senior leader says, "Are are they okay with inheriting it? Can they actually lead this? Do they want to lead this? If they don't want to lead this, maybe I should not launch this.
3: Yeah, right. (laughs) I love how you're walking with churches through that. I know there's so many great stories. What are some of the questions? What are a few questions that incoming lead pastors that are stepping into that new role? What should they be asking at this season?
4: Yeah. So whenever you're stepping into a succession season and role, no doubt one of the questions to ask, what is the length of this Transition season, and we, we could you know do a whole conversation, no doubt about it, a whole podcast on the length of transitions, and is it you know a stop and go model where someone stops and the next guy goes, is it an overlap model where somebody comes and overlaps for three months or six months or two years or whatever, but the person who's coming in needs to have real clarity from the current senior pastor and the board of what is the timeline of this? And another question for the incoming, if somebody is going into a transition succession season, here's a question, and and I'll tell you, I, I've learned these because I've been through it. Mm. And I, I spent three years in a high-level transition that didn't occur, uh, and so here's one of the questions, and that is how much can I defer out of respect without compromising my leadership Yep. among the church or the staff so here's what happens when you come in as a leader where there's already a current leader who's been there five 10 20 30 years you want to, you you do respect them you want to respect them uh, and so so you end up deferring a lot of times you mm-hmm. know when you're in a staff meeting or, or whatever it is and you defer to that current leader certainly out of respect but sometimes what happens is when you defer it's a dance right yeah because if you just defer all the time then you're seen as a weak leader yeah. well he doesn't have an opinion he doesn't he doesn't know how he would lead it he doesn't speak up against so and so and a lot of times you're doing that out of respect but ultimately it actually weakens your leadership with especially the mm. staff and so it's a dance you know a lot of people who are going through succession or who are stepping into lead pastor roles you know let's face it they're pretty motivated. They're probably a, a D on the disc. They're probably pretty high. They're, you know, they're an eight on the Enneagram or a three on the Enneagram. Three unite, Yeah. Three unite, Yeah. I'm a, I believe I'm a three. Everybody yeah. has their opinion of what everybody is, right? Sure. But I want to believe I'm a three with a four wing and yeah. so that's not this podcast. So that's what I am.
2: <laughs> Love it.
4: Uh, but you know, these are, these are motivated, extroverted type of people. Mm-hmm. And this whole dance of deferring is something you're going to have to figure out. Here's in fact, here's a guideline. If you are in a transition season, here's what I would say to you. If you talk 10% less, you will appear 50% wiser. So good. Right. So, so don't nice. don't don't talk not at all mm-hmm. because you're a leader. But just talk 10 or 15% less than you think you should, and you'll appear 50% wiser.
3: Yeah. Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? Is there a proverb that says, I don't know. I read the Bible once. um, Even a fool seems wise until he opens his mouth.
4: That's right. That, that that's right. And and I think there's. You're absolutely right. You're a biblical scholar, Keith. Who uh, <laughs> knew? Who <He> knew? <laughs> but it is we true. Will. We need. We actually should look that up. We um, should. L- let me just share. Can I, can I share one other thing on this? Please, yeah. Keith, here's the thing. We only had three minutes on this podcast about succession, and we were only talking to leaders who are thinking about entering a succession relationship. Here's the one thing I would say. Here's the one thing. Uh, that is how much of your current lead pastor can you adopt without betraying yourself?
1: Mm, talk so about that.
4: you have somebody who's been in a role, five, 10, 20, 30 years. They're fantastic, they're great. How much of that person can you adopt who they are, how they act, how they preach, how they lead meetings? How much of that person can you adopt without betraying yourself? That is game, set, match. Because you have to adopt some of that lead pastor mm-hmm. to have continuity. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess if you're going to redo the whole church and vision and culture, you don't. But most churches, yeah. you need to create continuity and a bridge between you and the current lead pastor. So yeah. how much of them can you adopt without betraying who you are and just becoming someone else? That mm-hmm. is the question yeah. for people to wrestle down.
3: I love that because it it does force the incoming leader to really assess: Am I going to be successful in this next season and bring to the table what God's gifted me to do? But do it in a way that is consistent with where the church is headed. And I think sometimes, uh, for whatever reason, variety of them, we forget that that we are receiving this. You know, the leader that's coming in is receiving something, and so that transition phase that churches are are going through. I'm sure at some point when you're asking these questions of leaders and you're sitting in the room, um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, is there some tension around this conversation and how have you seen that play out?
4: Yeah, I think there is tension because especially incoming leaders are, you know, they've gone into it presumably with no escape clause, you know, that I'm going to do this, that this is my Mm -hmm. path, that God is calling me to do this. But essentially there, there comes a time when you realize hey in order to do this role i may have to become somebody i'm not mm. that that can be what i'm kind of getting at here and and the truth is some people decide to proceed and just become somebody they're not yeah that happens my counsel is <laughs> that you don't do that that you figure out how you can still be you and also allow a successful succession to happen yeah now the truth is you know and I've talked to lots of leaders in transition it can take three four five six seven years Keith after after a transition happens for a leader to really feel like wow this is my culture yeah this is my place it takes some time for mm-hmm. this to happen but ultimately how much of that leader are you going to have to adopt without betraying yourself I love that it's just, it's a, it's a sobering thing because you want to be you. You want to be you. And if you can be you and be a part of a successful succession, fantastic.
3: Wow. That's amazing insight, Todd. Thanks so much for sharing that. So much of it feels wrapped up in insecurities, uh, personal agenda. So many things can beset the process or impede it from, from actually being a successful handoff.
4: So true. And I, I see what you're saying in those insecurities or not wanting to be a lame duck and things like that. But the way most senior leaders would phrase that is, no, I'm not that. I just don't want to be lazy. Mm. I don't want to yep, be yep. lazy. Um, and I get it. Yeah, I don't yep. want you to be lazy either. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Spend your energy and effort then setting this next leader up for success, not just growing your own legacy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't yeah. want to be lazy. Yeah. All right. Spend all your energy and effort and chips setting them up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So what if finishing strong looked and was defined differently? Mm. And, and I think that that's what, as you're having this conversation and you're, you're leaning in and forcing everyone in the room on, on both sides of this to ask these really tough questions that ultimately will release everyone from some inordinate pressure that they feel, whether the incoming leader to be someone they're not, or the outgoing leader to have a bunch of wins um, that they're going to get credit for. And instead, figuring out a way to come to the table and say, how do we do what's best for the kingdom and for the church? And and not to oversimplify it that way, but really what you're talking about, Todd, is that. Yeah. How do we perpetuate this movement beyond a personality?
4: Yeah, that's so good. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. And you know what comes to mind, Keith, just as you're talking? I've never thought this before. I've never had this metaphor in my mind before. But hearing you describe it, here's the picture. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you would go to an arcade or a pizza shop or something like that and you'd sit down to play a video game and you're ready to put your quarter in? and you see that there are already credits. Yep. There's already three credits on the game.
3: Yep. That's That's a great arcade trip. I love it.
4: That's what we're talking about. We're talking about sitting down to get in the game, and you find out you've already got credits.
3: Mm, I love that. And you can go so much further faster when you have that. That's it. I love it. I love it. So, Todd, with that in mind, you know when senior leaders do start having the discussion about who's next what are some of the first hurdles that they'll encounter and how can they avoid tripping over themselves in this process
4: yeah you know a couple of things that come to mind is especially when when we're working with groups at slingshot group we have these what we call stability factors and we work through 15 different factors so there are 15 different stability factors that will give your church dexterity in these seasons and mm-hmm. and literally i i share this question with senior leaders and elder boards all the time if we get tripped up in this season if we look back 3 years from now and we just mess this whole succession up it's probably going to be because of one of these 15 ability factors we have a whole day or two session that deals with this but it's things like governance mm-hmm. it's things like facilities it's things like finance Programming, staffing. And what we want to do is we want to just take a look at those stability factors and see where we have cracks, if you will, in Mm -hmm. the ecosystem. Because remember, we're not just talking about one thing here. We're not talking about just how do we find the new guy. There's all these conversations that go into building an ecosystem where a new leader can actually be fruitful. And so one of the things is working through those stability factors. Here's another huge thing here's what trips us up. All the time, and that is just communication. Mm-hmm. Communication. We uh, not only we just don't know how to communicate it. We, we don't know like when should we start <laughs> talking about succession. You know, I mean, our, our our lead pastor told the elders a year ago, but do we tell the staff now? Do we tell the staff later? Do we tell the congregation this week? Do we wait till you know a year from now? We. It's so hard to know when to communicate, who to communicate to, yeah, and what do they actually need. To know.
3: Talk about the value of that, because I, I think that's where when I, you know, when I'm on site with a church, with a senior pastor who is, you know, close to retirement age, or maybe they've just come through, you know, a transition of leadership, this communication piece is everything uh, to the morale of the team, uh, talk a little bit about that and how you see that. Both maybe on the positive side and even the negative side of how communication plays such an important role in the process.
4: Yeah, well, the negative side is easy when, when you when you communicate too infrequently or not clearly. Either of those can can happen. People get anxious, people get nervous, and people get suspicious. Yeah, and it's hard to do
3: your best work when you feel that way too. Well,
4: absolutely. And they start to create their own preferable future and mm-hmm. it's chaos and it is divisive to communicate clearly gives your staff and congregation a sense of peace. It gives them a sense of clarity and ultimately what it does, this is the number one thing that communication does. It builds, it builds trust mm. and When you get into succession and transition, what you need more than anything is trust. You got to have trust. Mm. And that is built through communication. Um, One of the tools that we use at Slingshot Group is called the Latitude of Disclosure. And this is a very intense and amazing tool that helps teams determine who needs to know what and when. And so it's literally a tool that we spend time working with that creates a powerful, clear, effective communication timeline for your staff, Mm -hmm. for the congregation and for the community. Mm -hmm. One of the things we haven't even really mentioned yet, and we should have probably mentioned far earlier on is that there's a huge spiritual aspect of this, right? Yeah. There's God and his Holy spirit, smooth things and makes transitions and, forgives a multitude of wrongs and fills in cracks and Mm. all of those things that we can't do. So what a communication strategy does, it allows us to do our part so then God can do what we can't do. You know, in in people's hearts. Um, But we get tripped up when we don't communicate clearly with our congregation.
3: Yeah, I think it creates a space for suspicion and it's hard to feel like there's trust in a culture of suspicion. So, so good, great insights, Todd. And I love the point too that you make about inviting the Holy Spirit into this process. Um. This is not something we should be trying to figure out on our own and in our own wisdom, but through the collective wisdom of multiple leaders uh, praying through this and being bold enough to ask the hard questions of themselves and of one another as they seek to hand this baton. And so many times that baton, it feels like it kind of gets thrown into the bushes, you know, and the next guy has to go in and dig it out. And, and maybe only one or two factors are actually being addressed. And that might be who's going to preach on the weekend and... Uh, you know, who's going to run the staff? But in, in growing organizations and organizations with multiple layers, multiple teams, there's so many factors that have to be looked at. Um, and I love that you are taking an intentional approach to that. And during our conversation today, you've mentioned the Oxano succession toolbox that you're using to coach leaders through succession. And you've mentioned a handful of those tools. I love them. I'm intrigued by them. And I've heard you talk about them on numerous occasions. But if you had to just take a couple of minutes here, Todd, and talk to our listeners today about one or two of, of your favorite tools from this toolbox that you're using, what would they be and why?
4: Oh man, you know, it it is a powerful toolbox. I, I think it's just the best transition training toolbox out there. And you know, it's been worked on for 10 plus years through Will Heath and Oxano. It started with a Barna study 10 years ago with hundreds and hundreds of churches who were going through it. So it's based on Barna research. It's been tweaked and made better through the last decade. And what we use now is about a 40-page workbook that is uh, not prescriptive necessarily, but it gets everybody singing from the same page as we head into transition And so I I just love it. One of the big parts of the workbook, obviously, is changing the metaphor from just the handoff to the ecosystem. There's just light bulbs that come on when leaders realize this uh, successful succession has everything to do with the culture and ecosystem, not just that moment of handoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I love, I love that. Uh, there, there's a section in there that talks about, Hey, if this doesn't go well, here's the costs to the pastor. Here's what it's going to cost the pastor. Mm-hmm. If they don't transition well, here's, here's four costs for the church. If they don't transition well, here's four things it's going to mean for the church. Right? Yeah. So we go through those sorts of things. Um, we go through direction and stability and identity. And one of my favorite sections of the, the time we get to spend with leaders is talking through the celebration of the outgoing leader. Because here's, here's, here's the truth. If we don't celebrate the person who is leaving, most people won't accept the person who is coming. That's so good. We just, we let that go by so much. you know. And so-and-so, you know, Joe Smith has been there for 20 some years now and we just don't feel like we got to love him or celebrate him or honor him the way we mm-hmm. did. So guess what? This new person that's coming in, I don't care who they are, we're just we're going to have a chip on our shoulder so we have to celebrate the outgoing leader appropriately so the incoming leader will be accepted and we have a whole section that we work through with the board you know this isn't the responsibility of the current leader to set up their party shouldn't be you know, right? And, right. But sometimes it is. it's not just their assistant who should be setting this up. And so we go mm-hmm. through this whole thing of how publicly and privately with the congregation, friends, family, community, networks, how do you celebrate this person? Because, you know, how you leave is how you're remembered. That's right. Right? Yep. You can have a phenomenal 10, 20, 30 year run, but how you leave is how you're remembered. So let's spend time celebrating that. So there's so many, yeah. you know, so many of those things and, and so many of those metaphors in there. Keith, yeah. I don't know if this will have time to make it into our full podcast, but let me just share with you one quick story uh, that I love to share that usually brings light bulbs on. And I learned this from our friends at Oxano about the ecosystem. Uh, so for me, I, I love to plant things in our yard. I, I love, you know, I'll go to Lowe's or Home Depot and I don't know about you, but I'll just, if something looks really cool, I'll buy it and want to plant it in my yard. And so what happens is a lot of times I have no idea if they should really, you know, be in my yard. So most recently I live in Southern California. Some of our friends and neighbors, two or three blocks over have these avocado trees and they're fantastic and amazing. And our family loves avocados. So about six or eight months ago, I went and bought an avocado tree and I spent you know, about a hundred bucks and bought one that's a little bigger. And I planted it in our backyard. And about two or three months in, it hasn't grown much. Four months in, it's hasn't grown at all. And if I showed it to you today, six or eight months in, it's actually shrinking and it looks like it's dying. And so I finally asked our gardener, the person who comes and works on our yard, what's the deal? And he said, well, listen, your avocado tree, it, it needs a lot of sunlight, and not much moisture. Mm-hmm. And where I planted it is almost completely covered by a tree, and because of that, the ground is always wet, mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of you know rain and stuff gathers there and condensation. So, so the question is, whose fault is it that the avocado tree doesn't grow? It's yours. It's my fault. Yep. Yeah. It's not the avocado tree's fault. It's right. my fault. And what I essentially did is I bought a great tree. For someone else's yard. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And here's the thing. We do that all the time in the church. Mm. We see the leader we want. They're gonna be out, you know, outgoing, they're gonna have this gift or that gift, and they're gonna be able to lead us in this or that. And we find and hire a great pastor for someone else's church.
3: Wow. Wow. That's so, so good.
4: Man, let's spend some time on the ecosystem. Who do we really need? Who will flourish here? Yeah. Let's find that kind of person.
3: Love that metaphor. So good. So good. Todd, a couple of uh, remaining questions here. So we've had this discussion today about succession. So many great insights uh, and nuggets of truth. But Todd, if you had to summarize and define what a healthy succession looks like, how would you do it?
4: Here's, Here's what I think I would say. At least this is what I would say today.
3: Okay, that works.
4: (laughs) A healthy succession is when the outgoing leader grabs something new and the incoming leader makes something new. So good, say it again. So the outgoing leader grabs something new Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and the incoming leader makes something new. The outgoing leader isn't gonna leave unless they can grab something new. Mm -hmm. They have to. So the outgoing leader grabs something new The incoming leader makes something new. They take what's already been going on at the church, add energy, add life, refresh it, Mm -hmm. make it even better and newer.
3: It's so good. And if the outgoing leader, as you stated earlier in the podcast, is saving some of those wins for that new leader, how much more healthy will that succession be? Um, Because they've actually set that person up to ride the wave of momentum instead of trying to sustain something that really, wasn't even necessarily in their heart. And so, Todd, to conclude today and to wrap up, are there any final words of wisdom or counsel that you'd like to give to those who are currently on staff at an organization that are in the midst of a senior leadership transition right now? Because I know there are listeners out there today, they're not the senior leader, but they're on staff. They're in the trenches, they're doing the work, but their church is either in the middle of it or will soon be facing that. Any words of wisdom or advice that you just speak into our listeners today?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I think whether, no matter where you are in this equation and kind of equity you have in a transition, succession season, what you need to pray for what you need to work for, what you need to be committed to, what you need to champion is trust. Trust, trusting God, trusting board, the eldership board, uh, trusting that the staff is going to continue to grow and, and be the biggest fan, trusting the congregation. Just trust that God isn't surprised by this. You know, God is not looking down on your church right now going, whoa, 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 whoa. What is happening at First Community? Yeah. I had no idea Jack was leaving. No, trust that God knows. Trust, trust, trust. Here, listen, the staff has to have trust. The congregation has to have trust. The incoming leader, the outgoing leader have to have trust. Uh, and, and it is built by, we've already said this, it's built by communication. So, so here's what I'd say. Let me put this into a sentence. The better the communication, the stronger the trust, the more successful the succession. So good. That's it. The better the communication, the stronger the trust, the more successful the succession.
3: It's so good. Todd, so many great nuggets of wisdom that you've shared with us today. I know I've got so much to think about at the same time. I'm encouraged by the conversation that you're having with churches. And for the leader that's listening today that wants to find out more about the Oxano toolbox that you're using and how to walk through and navigate a season of change like this, where can they find out more information about that?
4: Yeah, this is all, uh, all over You know, our slingshotgroup.org. Uh, website. And so they can grab more information there uh, with Slingshot Group. We, We have things on Instagram. We have things on Twitter, on Facebook. They can find me, Todd Clark. But probably the best thing to do would just be go to the Slingshot website and send a little note to us at Slingshot that says, hey, we're thinking about this and we're not sure what to do. And then we'll get on the phone and talk with you and or on a video call and talk with you and get on site and begin to add just some clarity and and dexterity to this uh, oftentimes complicated and uh, unique season. So that's probably the best way. Just go to the Slingshot website and uh, we can connect up.
3: I love it. I love it. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to join us.
4: Hey, thanks so much, Keith. It's been great. Love being a part of the podcast. Blessings to all you friends out there around the country.
1: Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have, that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life, and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan.
5: The mid 90s there was an organization called promise keepers a men's ministry thing started by the coach uh coach mccartney from or is it mccarthy or mccartney i think it's mccartney from uh who was a, a head football coach at uh university of colorado <clears throat> and he started this men's thing and uh, started off in his church of 70 guys getting together for a bible study and it took off and then there was you know like 70,000 men at each of the events during the spring and summer. I went to, so I got asked to produce that music. And the way that I got asked to produce it was <clears throat> I was at a, at a gas station at uh, Viejo, pumping gas one night, and about three stalls over, this guy hollers across, hey, Stan! And I looked up, and it was a guy by the name of Malcolm Duplessy and he was the one that was hired by Promise Keepers and Maranatha Music to oversee and hire the people to produce these Promise Keepers albums. And so, Malcolm, what are you doing, buddy? He goes, hey, pull over to the side. I want to talk to you about something. And so I I said, okay. So I did, and he goes, "Uh, we were deciding who to produce the new Promise Keepers records, and... uh, I think you need to do it. And I, he said I never thought of thought of you until I just saw you here at the gas station. Would you be interested in producing these albums and I'm cuz it was a big deal back then. Yeah. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And we had big budgets, you know. I mean like so I could hire anybody I wanted to. And uh, but they asked me to produce it. And so that made, meant that I would produce all the music for the recordings. the The bands would learn that music and then they would go do it live, and I would do a gospel choir on stage of like 120 men, you know, which was just kicking, man. It was awesome. So uh, the big the big hoopla was whenever in 1997. They had the thing at the at the mall at, in Washington D.C. A million Men Movement, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, I produced that music, and so I I went to it, and a couple of my buddies from church up in Anaheim, um, w- one of them had been on my worship team when I was leading worship up there. His name is Pate, and and my other buddy Ron, and they said we want to come to. The, uh, the big march, the big Promise Keepers men's thing in Washington D.C. We want to come, and I said, "Well, that's cool." And they said, "But we we want to stay with you in your room and stuff." And I go, "Well, first of all, why should I? Why should I let you guys I mean, mooch off of me? I mean, I'm I'm kind of a big deal on this, you know. I mean, I got my own room and and I got backstage passes. I mean, you guys are kind of like." I don't know why I should let you do it. And they go, come on, man, come on, man. So I said, I finally agreed to. So got a rollaway bed and uh, schedule for them, you know. And so <clears throat> sometimes I don't know what comes over me, but I look for opportunities to get at somebody, you know. And I'm thinking, all right, Pate and Ron, you guys are mooching off of me. Why should I, you know, why should I bow down and, and help you guys out? So I thought, well, maybe I need to do something to offset this a little bit. <laughs> and so, so I called the guy from Promise Keepers, the head guy of the production. I said, Will you do a practical joke with me? And he said, Sure. What is it? I said, There's a guy in the choir. It's going to be in my church, from my church. He's going to be in D.C. And I would like for you to call him and ask him to, to memorize, to quote this scripture right before Coach McCartney preaches. And, that, and tell him that it, it needs to be memorized. <laughs> so, because there's no, not going to be a video or anything, the monitors, so he's going to need to memorize this passage of Scripture. Well, first of all, Pate knows how to turn off the runway lights at LAX. He works for DWP or whoever company that is, but he, he, and he graduated from Cal. He's a smart guy. And so I said, ask him to quote the scripture, said, I saw your name on the list, saw you were from Stan's church. So a week goes by, Pete calls me, he says, Stan, you're not going to believe who called me. I go, what? He goes, Promise Keepers, the, guy, the production guy. Uh, I go, what do you want? He goes, he wants me to like quote scripture right before coach speaks. It's out of Second Chronicles. And he goes, he goes, uh, I said, Pate, what an honor. It's going to be, there's going to be a million guys there, and it's going to be televised all over the world. This is fantastic. (laughs) And so Pate goes, man, but I read it, and it's pretty long. I go, well, I mean, that's part of the thing. I made up something, you know, and he fell for it. So now we're like six weeks out, and every time we see Pate at church, he'd have a big stack of three-by-five cards <laughs> with, a three, with a rubber band around it. And I'd say, hey, Pete, how's it going? And he goes, man, it's long. I go, boy, I guess that, that would but I said, Pete, you'll, you'll kill it. you still got a month, man. And so every time we'd see him, and you could see him on his pickup truck, the stacks of three-by-five cards. <laughs> so it comes time to get there, to go. And they take a red eye, they come into my hotel room and Pate's got his backpack on and sure enough, he pulls out the three by five cards with the rubber bands on them. And we're, they came two days early so we could go to some, you know, museums and stuff. So everywhere we go, Pate's got the cards and and while we're going to all the museums and all the yes. cool stuff. He's still trying to memorize this stuff. And he's like, he's into it. And I said, Pate, you want me to drill you? No, I think I'm I'm good. He said, I just got a little bit more. I said, man. And I said, Are you gonna be okay? You know, and he goes, Yeah, I I think so, which means means he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And so we comes to the morning of, and Pate is. White as a ghost. He goes, man, Stan. I don't know. I said, I said, are they going to have? They're going to have video monitors, aren't they? And he <laughs> goes, no. They said they can't have them. I go, well, shoot, that is tough. <laughs> so, so we all gather. It's like three hours before we gather for this prayer thing. And after the prayer, that my buddy, promise keepers he goes, uh, is there a Pate Steiner? Could you come up here afterwards? On, I need to talk to you for a second. And Pate walks up there and I see him talking. He told Pate, he said, Hey, the uh, Parks and Rec, they told us that we have to cut the whole thing by 30 minutes. So we're not, I don't think we're going to be able to use, use your scripture. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he, he spends six weeks, like hours every day. <laughs> And uh, he came to me and said, Stan, I don't think they're gonna have time. I said, why not? <laughs> and so uh at the at the when we walk up to the steps, they told Peyton, yeah, it's for sure, cut. You're not gonna do your scripture. And to this day, if you saw Pate, he would tell you that he didn't realize it all along. He just went along. It's not true. No. He was no. he was had. Yeah. And, I, and everybody I tell that story to, they go, oh, man, that's dirty. I go, you know what? I don't look at it that way. It's like, <laughs> it's like you know, he, he was a good friend and he mooched off of me.
3: Oh, my God!
5: It would have cost him $500 for a hotel for a couple of nights. Yeah. And so I just felt like he had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> So if you ever, and someday I'll introduce him to you guys. And this is the famous Paige Steiner. And uh, he won't admit it, that I had him, but oh, I had him good.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.